Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Side, a podcast about black science fiction and fantasy and staying on the same page in this here marriage. I'm one of your incredible co-hosts, Amber Wallen, and Ben, <clears throat> Ben, huh, well, I'm sure he's around here somewhere. Before we get started on episode 12, our anime episode, I want to just thank everyone for tuning in and listening and rocking with us. If you've been enjoying the Sci-Fi side, I need you to do something for me. This is your Christmas gift to me. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings mean a lot to us and help us with our circulation and getting the word out there on Black Sci-Fi and Fantasy. And also, they make us just feel good. I've been editing and producing and recording, and we ain't got no team. This is grassroots podcasting, so your ratings would mean a great deal to us. Now, let's talk about what the discussion is for this week. We watched Cannon Busters on Netflix. Cannon Busters was created by LaShawn Thomas. That's black man. He wrote the comic book series for the show and he completely brought it to life. Because Ben and I don't know nothing about no anime, I called my friend Carmilla Kupritz. She's a mom, a university student, trainer, spin instructor, yoga and strength instructor, and she's constantly inspired by the world that she thrives in. Her hobbies include traveling the world, but also reading manga and watching a whole bunch of anime. But be careful now, she can talk a lot about it. So check out this interview we had with Carmilla about Cannon Busters on Netflix and the anime community as a whole. Well, hello listeners. Can't see us, but it is very early. Carmilla's in Chicago. We're in Georgia right now, and we're so excited to talk about Cannon Busters, but more so have a larger conversation about anime, because this is my very first time watching a full anime series, unless you count, like, Pokemon, which I don't think that counts. So, Carmilla, why don't you tell the good people who you are, talk about what you do for a living, and then just talk about how long you've been loving anime, when did you first fall in love with anime, where has anime taken you around the world, just all things you think people should know. Okay, I want people to know that Pokemon is an anime. Okay. Uh, Hi, guys. I'm Carmela. Nice to meet you. I've been watching anime since I was seven years old. A lot of you may not know that Transformers was actually created by a Japanese animator. So Transformers would be considered anime. I also did watch Voltron. I watched Transor Z, which is better known as Mazinger Z, Macross. So I've been watching anime for a really long time. I used to own three magazines and that took me all the way across the ocean to Japan to live out my dreams for a few years. So I didn't live there for a few years, but I was living my dream through my anime and through my magazine. Can you talk a little bit about those anime magazines? Like, what were their content? What did you present in those magazines? So it started with me being able to interview the creator of Gundam, Yoshiyuki Tamino. So it all started, I was at an anime viewing for a movie, and it was for Gundam. And he was there, and I was dressed as a Gundam pilot. in my cosplay. So after the viewing of the movie, I went to a book signing at Borders to get his book signed because he came out with a book. So while we were there, I was talking to a Japanese lady who was like the press agent and she was like, oh, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I run a forum, just an anime forum. And she said, why don't you come and interview him for your forum? So I was like, okay, she gave me the address and it happened to be the Japanese consulate. 
So we went there and we were the only Americans. We're black. We're dressed in cosplay. Everybody else is dressed in suits. So we sit all the way in the back of the room. We're like, what is happening? And they're like, no, you're going to come and sit in the front of the room. Please come and sit in the front of the room. So I was with my 25-year-old. He was 14 at the time. So we sat all the way in the front of the room. And we started to interview him in cosplay with all Japanese people around us. So the next day, the press lady was like, you really should publish this in a magazine, though. And I thought to myself, I should in my own magazine. So I created this magazine that was supposed to be a one-off around his interview. So that's how it started. So we would review anime. We would put pictures of cosplayers. We would have a little bit of a music section. So over time, that music section grew. The magazine was called Anime Food. So we did a double-sided magazine that was called Anime Food Mad Hatter. And the Mad Hatter part was all the music. So I met the owner of Cure Magazine in Japan, and he wanted us to combine forces and create another magazine here called Cure USA, which would be an extension of the Japanese music magazine. So eventually, he owned all of it, and then I stepped back and just continued my life. Was still loving anime, but not only anime magazines. I love this symbiotic relationship, though, between music and anime. And it happens all the time. Like, I'm just uh, thinking of um, Excess Tessension. Uh, he, like, huge anime fan. And a lot of people have actually taken his music and put it over, like, clipped anime images. I'm thinking of, like, Wu-Tang Clan and Afro Samurai, you know, doing all the music for that. And so can you talk a little bit about like that symbiotic relationship, even like the, the Japanese punk scene, I'm thinking of Death Note as well. Like it, there's such this incredible relationship. Can you talk a little bit about how you found that intersection? Well, a lot of the anime fans were fans of the people who did the music for the anime openings, the anime closings, and a lot of the musicians would like anime, but also they had something at the time when it really got bigger called Visual K, which kind of came out of like the rock, the rock scene with Kiss, but also the punk scene. So they would dress up like in these really like really great flamboyant outfits, um, hair, makeup, and they almost look like anime characters. And I feel like the pull of that with the fans because they already loved anime and the idea of like this fantasy that the people playing the music also embodied that fantasy. And so the crossover became so easy to do. Also, when you watch anime, they all have beautiful scores, not just like the rock openings or the rap, but they also just have really great music throughout it. So if you look at Cannon Busters or you look at Samurai Ch where you look like Cowboy Bebop, that like music is very integral. Even Gundam or Matt Cross Plus, all the way back in, you had these orchestral music. So 
the crossover is really natural and it's really hard to separate one from the other. It makes me think of a, a movie I watched recently with my students, A Silent Voice, I think. Ah, yes. Yeah. And it was the score of that is so beautiful and it tells a really intimate story I think would connect with a lot of middle schoolers about bullying. But the music was just so incredibly emotional, going back to not just the opening and the closing, but orchestral music. So it's John Williams and Howard Shore, but it's put over anime, which I think a lot of people don't think of orchestral music as being something a part of anime. Yeah. Which sort of gets into our, our other question, uh, all the assumptions people make about anime. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, go me. I would love to hear. So I'm somebody who wasn't big on anime because I truly thought that it's a cartoon. So it's for kids. Even in Cannabusters that we watch, there are some of these like very like cutesy kid voices. So I think growing up, I was just like, I'm grown. I don't watch anime. I watch the Parkers and everything else or whatever. And watching Cannonbuster showed me like, oh, there's some really deep, dark themes within this that are very mature, very adult. What are some other misconceptions you think people have about anime? That it's for Japanese people, right? That it's a different culture. The biggest one also that anime is for kids or that it's for like weird perverts that want to see like, you know, cartoon characters with body shapes that don't make any sense. Um, that's another one. And I just think that like, you know, I hate to say this, but as Americans, we are very not willing to watch or get involved in a lot of things that are un-American. So even when you're like, I'm watching a foreign film, like do foreign film people think like the movie is a foreign film? Like it's a film. So I think it's the same kind of thing. Getting into what we're, the, the show we're going to discuss today, Cannon Busters, which is created by LaShawn Thomas. It was originally a comic. And then he, I think he crowdfunded it to sort of get it, to get it started. Something that I'm, I love is gonzo fiction, which is like this weird fiction, but it throws a million bizarre uh, elements and genres and like blends them together. And I think anime does this extraordinarily well. So if you look up Cannon Busters, it says fantasy. It's That's the genre. But it also is like a, a blend of mecha, high fantasy, a weird Western, samurai, and like robotics fiction. And with like this blend of Afrofuturism, which for me is like a perfect gonzo fiction. And I was hoping you could sort of break down a little bit of some of those genres, especially Mecca, because if you're a big Gundam fan, I know that's sort of the the start of Mecca fiction. And, ex and completely explain Mecca to people who don't watch anime, because I have no idea what y'all are talking about. <laughs> well, Gundam isn't actually the start of it. It made it really big. Um, there was another uh, anime that came out that was like Galaxy 999, I think, that would be like more... Towards the that was pre pre Gundam, um, but for with Mecca it became a phenomenon because one the stories with Mecca telling of the characters it wasn't just about the characters it was also about you know Japanese culture you know being torn up in war and so that's how that genre became bigger because 
the messaging in those anime had to deal with a lot of things that Japanese people were dealing with post-World War II situations, racism from other countries, why they aren't a part of this federation, not being able to have, you know, their own army. But now they have these mechs, right? They have their own army in the form of these mechs and the wars are taking, you know, place in outer space. So, you know, so that is the part of the mechs. And then the idea that like, you know, you can make your body kind of mechanized or stronger, you know, through this mechanization, which kind of is a throwback to like the samurai idea that you can have this stoic, you know, way about you and way of being that your body, your armor, right? The whole thing with the mechs is that that mech has a person inside of it. That is armor, right? Samurai armor. So all of those things kind of tie into Japanese culture that we just maybe on the surface will look at as like, oh, it's a robot. Because that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, Mecha is just robots that transform from a car to a robot. But actually, the genre itself is saying something more about post-colonialism. It's saying something more about Japanese uh, culture in general. So just like a, sh- a quick like summary of the show. So Philly the Kid, uh, a reference to Billy the Kid, who was an actual Western gunslinger, is an immortal drifter who runs into two robots, Sam and Cassie. And the robots are looking for the Prince of Bataka, which is this beautiful and powerful city which has been destroyed by an evil wizard. Along with the occasional help by a drunken samurai named Nine, Philly and the robots team up to find the prince. The title of it, Cannon Buster, is a complete reference to one of the robots, Sam. Which, spoiler alert, she is this incredibly powerful fusion of magic and robotics. And that fusion creates what the show calls a cannon buster, which I, I love when magic and science are fused together. I want to go back to Sam for a second, where Sam, this completely naive robot who is incredibly powerful, as we said, she's this cannon buster. But for me, I connected with her because she is this perfect embodiment of extreme privilege. For example, whenever she's in harm's way, she never has to worry. So she is completely oblivious to danger Because whenever she's in danger, she shuts down, her eyes glow red, and she annihilates everyone in her path. And so that is something that I just absolutely loved. And for me, I felt like the Cannon Busters is about her, like her arc. With that, and like Sam's arc, that whole thing would be more relatable, right? That like, you're living this happy life, but when something wild is happening, like, you your trauma shuts you down and you become this like other person well i didn't even think about reading her story sam as a trauma reading so in like literary criticism there's a whole field of traumatic studies and you take trauma theory and you apply it to literature and it's often it's often done through like the works of tony morrison or uh, eli wazell when you're dealing with american slavery and the holocaust and this idea of taking that literature and applying it to cannon busters really I, i think well and also importantly so like i said i didn't watch anime growing up really and even like the pokemon that i stumbled upon was because i would like walk into my brother's room at which point he would be like get out of here but i think 
the the cartoons that I watched while they were fun and like kitty, this is the first time I've watched like an an animation that was just like the like I said those very deep themes. In the cartoons I've watched in the past, all the robots would be the same. And so in this one, for example, Sam and Casey are both robots, but they are like completely two separate characters from two separate tribes and communities and they live harmoniously. I just thought that that was really what the car is a robot. Bessie. I really enjoyed the show. I, I would love to hear, you know, a, a pro anime person's opinion on the whole season because it was great. And we were happy to support a black animator, of course. I agree with you about a lot of those things that you just touched on because also like in, a, you know, not all Japanese people, but you know, the idea that Anything that has been created has a life to it. And so Bessie being a robot, but she's alive. You know, the robots, the two, you know, the cannon buster. And, you know, they're functioning, living beings, not just like, as we saw in that one episode where they were going to kill or he decided that why was I going to be alive? when he was in the junkyard. And it was this whole like intense episode of, you know, him going to die. And this intense episode of like sadness, but he's a robot, you know? The idea that like there's energy in life and everything that we touch. And I think that's what also makes anime very unique is that it takes on these philosophical and theoretical ideas. And it's if it's for children, just think of what it's doing by teaching children these things early. That episode, uh, episode eight, Turnbuckle Ex Machina is the, is the name of the episode, is really disturbing because there's, there's a line in there at one point where Cassie actually struggles with suicide. Cassie, right. she, she actually takes a step to commit suicide mm -hmm. because she has this awakening. I'm, I'm gendering. I'm gendering Cassie, but I don't think. I did too. I think I said he. I don't know why I did yeah. that. Yeah, I don't. And that's that's the great thing is that it's so gender bending as well. We'll use they. But at one point, Cassie realizes I've lost my functionality. So therefore, I'm obsolete. And there's this a line where they're destroying robots that are obsolete but not necessarily worn out. They're still functioning, but because they're obsolete, then you get rid of them. And that idea of how we think of things as either obsolete or worn out was something to really mull over. Especially with everything that's been going on this year in 2020, and you're like, okay, I've been laid off from my job. I, I'm not worn out, but I feel obsolete. I remember like watching that scene being like, I have felt this way this year, not to the point where I want to lay on a conveyor belt, but I have felt like I have nothing more to offer people. So what now? I love you guys brought that up this episode because speaking of, of structuralism, right? That whole thing is a whole structuralist idea. It's like, who am I? And if I am not this and I am not doing this, then I am obsolete, right? That who I am is a yoga instructor. And that if I am not that, then I am nothing. And I think that, like you said, Amber, we struggle through that throughout life. And I think people don't realize it. And that's what's great about anime, especially when you have adult anime, 
that you come across those themes that you also can really relate to. This, the first episode doesn't feel like adult anime. If you watch something, I think in a similar vein, something like Cowboy Bebop, which, you know, fuses the Western and um, Afro Samurai, there's immediately you start off with like adult themes, like tons of violence. But then the second episode, they introduce like cannibalism. (laughs) And people are like hanging from the ceiling. You're like, whoa, it just got, it just escalated so fast. (laughs) In prostitution. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is tricks are and, not for kids. And this is a real serious show right here. So so episode one, fairly basic. They introduce the characters. But then episode two, you're introduced to cannibals. And these cannibals are a family that is somewhat incestuous. But also, they create leather from the skins of their victims yes and through prostitution and tricking people and drugs she drugged him (laughs) yes that's right oh yeah she she does she does kill him but that i think for me and a lot of i think a lot of people who first watch anime they're sort of immediately struck because they they're sort of led to believe one thing that this is going to be this kind of narrative and there are all these like youtube videos of reactions of people watching anime for the first time there's whole think pieces of people's like initial like like what what just happened what am i watching because it takes you in a completely, as I would say, like gonzo fiction direction. That cannibalism scene is very Western. Cannibals and Western fiction, Westerns in general, uh, show up all the time. But it seems that Westerns and anime like fit so well together. I see it thinking of like Cowboy Bebop, even Afro Samurai. So like, what is about the Western tropes that fuse so well with anime. Can you share a little bit more about that? Whether it be like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and the Magnificent Seven. Why is that brought into anime so often? Because a lot of the samurai films kind of mirror our Western films. So Magnificent Seven actually was copied true story, from a Japanese film called The Samurai Seven, which was the same kind of premise that they come to this town and you got these villains and you have these seven samurai, right? That they have to go through this journey. And so a lot of the Western kind of tropes fit into like the samurai trope, right? You got the, the, the lone samurai who is you know, out there and going to come across like these villains or be be a villain. And so putting it into a little bit more of a bebop, a smash up of you still have this samurai, but now he's in like a Western atmosphere, like Samurai Champloo. That like you have Mugen, who's, you know, this lone dude who wears Steel toe getta. So it's steel toe getta are Japanese shoes. He wears steel toe getta because he's like a black dude kind of also. And he's doing capoeira. He's also a great swordsman and, you know, challenges other swordsmen. Gene is supposed to be kind of the white guy. And he's more also like a, a cowboy, but he's the stoic one. So you have all these themes that are crossing over, but it's not really necessarily a Western theme. I think it's put in a Western setting. 
but it's still based off of like samurai cultures. Which character speaks the most to you in this show, Cannon Busters? Because I, I personally really loved the incorporation of Hilda. She has vitiligo, I think. She's like a black woman with very short hair, and she she's captured. And she seems like she gives up Prince Kelby and Odin. And I knew the minute that that happened, I was like, Ben, no, 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 no. Because this is a black woman and I know it's about to go down. This is not the end of the story. And she ended up being this like really powerful character, even though she was captured and stuff. So I'm wondering like which characters speak to you the most? Does anime typically do a good job of representing tons of different kind of cultures in each series? No, they don't. But... (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'll just be honest that, like, there are anime that where characters look like blackface. They have a character in Dragon Ball Z that literally is, like, super black with pink pink lips. But the thing about Japanese, you know, Japan, because I've been to Japan a few times, when I first started going and merged with the Japanese magazine, they asked me so many questions. So I remember one day I said, where are you getting these ideas from? And this is over 10 years ago that I still, you know, I'm still me. And I was like, why are y'all thinking this stuff? And they were like, oh, from American TV. So a lot of Japanese ideas about black people come from white people. So it's not that they're trying to be racist against black people or show these, you know, black, you know, tropes or characters. This is what they've learned. And so this is what how they incorporate what they know when they haven't, especially 10 years ago when I was there. I met three black people. I rarely saw black people. Now if you go, it's black people everywhere. But when I first went, there wasn't a lot. So I just can only imagine how would you try to incorporate another culture, another character without having met, truly have met or befriended or talked to someone of that ethnicity. I feel like I related to Philly the kid because he's the most irreverent. But he, he's on his goal and his mission, right? And he's like, oh, shit, I'm going to die again. But that's okay because I'm going to come back to life and I'm going to keep going. And that's kind of my, like, attitude about things. Like, I'll fall down, I'll get back up, and I'll keep going. And actually, they have a saying. The samurai have a saying, you fall down seven and you get up eight. So you get up more times than you fall. So I feel like Philly the Kid also is embodying part of that saying without actually them like throwing it on our face and saying it. Philly the Kid's arc for our listeners, he sort of, he's a drifter. He just goes about collecting bounty, doesn't really have much of a mission in life. And he sees this great opportunity with Sam and Cassie to get you know, the score of his life. Essentially, he has a backstory where his family was murdered. And so now actually you find out his motivation is to find revenge. And the ending of that, though, which there's a lot more story to tell, I didn't really believe, fully believe his transformation because he sort of just gives up his revenge. And I found really, really disappointing. Yeah, Ben, it was like he should have killed 
Prince Kelby. Well, I don't know necessarily kill, but give us a little bit more of why he would forgive Prince Kelby. So yeah, for our listeners, essentially we find out Bataka, which is supposed to be this perfectly like just and righteous kingdom, actually has a dark past and has been doing shitty things and ended up killing Philly the Kid's family, which I love. Like Kids need to recognize that power structures going back to like why kids should watch anime power structures are inherently evil elements of them are evil i don't know if this revenge story because it seems like i see these revenge stories a lot in anime and i didn't know if you know lashawn thomas was playing with that revenge story a little bit i I don't know what did what did y'all think yeah i felt like he was playing with the revenge theme i did buy into it like I said relating to Philly the Kid that like he became more of a hero because he had the power to exact his revenge but he didn't and so in that way he becomes a bigger hero when you have the chance to do harm even if it's in the the name of revenge but then you don't and so in that way he becomes an even more powerful person, a better person, because he decides not to. Regardless of what the power structures or the structures that be did to him. So I feel like, you know, LaShawn was thinking of like, you know, black people in America also, that we're, we've been going through all this stuff. And if someone, if we all decided to just exact our revenge what would that do? So at the end, he's a better person. He's a bigger hero for not doing that. I do like it, though, that he still remains an asshole. Like, he's still smoking his cigarette, right? Like, there's this element. And, um, he's like, don't get it twisted. I can like, pop off at you know, the drop of the head. Right. It makes sense, like... Why not, you relate to it. <laughs> yeah, why you relate to it. And just for our listeners, like, um, you know, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, but you're like a yoga and fitness instructor, like a disciplined and focused yoga and fitness instructor. Like you, Very. Uh, for our listeners, you know, you will tell your students that you can, they can always do one more. Like you're just very motivational, which for me, like I, I was thinking, I'm like, I wonder if Carmela like connects with that type of like discipline of the samurai and like how, or just how you inter- find that intersection with your yoga practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would love for you to share a little bit more about what you do outside of anime and how, and explain why these worlds blend so well together for you. Oh, that's so good. All right, so yes, I connect very heavily with the discipline of the people in the stories, but also that they're multifaceted, that they're not just samurai that they're not just great and that you get these backstories of these of people of how they're like you know like with samurai champloo and gene and his whole the whole master arc where like you killed your master and it's like you're not just you know this really strong um disciplined person that you have all these layers of who you are and all these layers is what created the person that's in front of them, even though they don't see the other the other parts. So I feel like that is a really big part that I connect with. And also that like, yeah, you we know watching something that this character is really powerful and has and could like literally if you think of Dragon Ball Z, like 
could literally explode the planet, but that you are choosing not to do that. And that really relates. I feel like for me, that's a really powerful thing. And so when I think of that outside of anime, it's like, yeah, I could do this. Oh yeah, I could pop off. It like really like smack somebody face in, but I'm not going to do that. That I'm going to be a better person, right? So, you know, outside of it, it's always that struggle of being a better person while you're disciplined. So it's always still making yourself better every single day. Balance, right? That like, yeah, you're disciplined, but you know, you go out with your friends. You may like, you know, hang out till like four in the morning and that all of those things are part of you. So I loved this series as a first time, like only probably, I can count on my hand how many animes I've seen. I would I would love to hear how it was received by the anime community and just give me a little bit about the anime community. Just doing this podcast has been teaching me about the science fiction community and it's a little bit like very fantastical and awesome, but there is also a little bit of elitism to the science fiction community. You know that like if, if I haven't read this, 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 and watched this, 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 I'm not going to really be accepted after reading just a couple books. So I'd love to hear how the anime community is in that way. As far as in the anime community, Cannon Busters, actually, because, you know, like Amber touched upon the elitism, right? So you have other anime also that are that are called anime, like Cannon Busters, but aren't considered anime because they're like, well, that was a, a non-Japanese person. So you do have that elitism and purism, like Castlevania or Blood of Zeus. They, those are called Netflix anime. But within the anime community, you have people that will watch it and it's probably like a lesser group. And then you have a big group that's like, no. So people watch Cannon Busters. I would say a lot of black anime people watched it. As far as a lot of white anime people watching it, you had some, but it wasn't huge. We used to have some students that watch anime when I taught high school. And they, one of the like go-to insults was like, you watch your anime dubbed. And I, and I was like, what's happening? Like, why? <laughs> Uh, don't all y'all watch anime? Like, I don't understand what the insult was, but just like, I love to, but those are kids, you know? So give me a little bit about the landscape of the anime community. Okay, I'm laughing about the sub versus dub. I'm crying laughing. Didn't you say that, that those were kids? Like high school kids. They're like, like, stop talking to me because you have to watch your anime dub. I was like, how is that an insult? What's happening? No, I'm laughing because... All the adults do that, too. <laughs> that is the biggest insult or the biggest, like, contention in the anime community is that if you watch your anime sub versus dub, that is, like, you're a purist, you can watch it and read the subtitles, which means you can, you know, you can multitask. And if you got to watch it dub, that, like, you, you know, some people, some people will be like, you whack, you can't multitask. And some people who watch it dub are like, you're an elitist and you're a snob and, you know, what's wrong with watching it in English? Like, so yes, this is a real thing in the anime community. It's real. So, sub, so to be clear, subbed is you're watching it with English subtitles. Yes. 
which yeah. is the probably the real insult. I, and and then dubbed is you're watching it with Japanese subtitles. No. no, so sub is you're watching it with English subtitles. Dub is like you're watching one of the old um, Chinese martial arts flicks where you got the English voice actors over it. So they're dubbing English voices over the the characters, over the Japanese. Oh. The, the idea behind it is that the Japanese voice actors bring more emotion to their lines and therefore you need to watch it with the original Japanese voice actors and yeah. read the subtitles. It's like a watered down version of Right. It. Mm. But you know, I was to that point I was listening to a podcast about this very issue and some Japanese animators were saying, "No, uh, Americans need to watch it dubbed because they get distracted from watching the artwork. And this is something that I really appreciate about anime. So if you were to like watch just a, a regular TV film, you know, a, a Skype or whatever, you're getting about 24 frames per second. If you watch a Disney animation flick, you're getting about 12 frames a second, where anime generally it's six frames a second. So a lot of people, I think, don't stylistically like anime because it's slower. You see a lot of background. There's not as much movement in between each shot. And I love that because it focuses you as a viewer to look at solid frames for a little bit longer. So I think that's a huge attraction to about anime that it's slower. But if you're watching it dubbed, you can focus on the images. But if you're watching it subbed, you get distracted by reading the subtitles. I would agree. I agree with, but I think people can watch it dubbed. And I think, I think people can also watch it sub. I feel like the Japanese creator, the podcast you listen to would be right. Not just about the artwork, but the semiotics, right? Like what you get out of, words or person speaking in English, what you get from the inflections, what you get from, you know, because everyone gets semiotics differently. And if you're someone who studied Japanese before, that watching it in the subtitle, you'll pick up on those inflections, you'll pick up on those emotions while reading the subtitles. So you don't actually have to stare at the subtitles entire time because you know a little bit of Japanese. So I feel like they both have their place within the anime community, but it is definitely like a huge thing. And I love when you talk about the backgrounds because they actually use real sites, real places for the backdrops. One Punch Man, Your Name, those animes, you can actually find those places in Tokyo in real life that are in the anime. And yeah. I think it's really interesting what you said about what makes something an anime is that it was created by Japanese creators or what, or is it just like this is a style and a genre? That's a um, that's the great debate, right? A great, another great debate. That's more of a recent one within the anime community. I mean, the idea that Transformers was an anime from people who've been watching anime for a really long time. We would say, yeah, Transformers is an anime, but you would still have people that would be like, no, be, even though it had, you know, it was through studio. Gonzo, I think I would have to double, I would double check that, but that, and that it had a Japanese creator. It was still also, you know, created by Americans. So it's not 
anime and it was and it wasn't aired in Japan as an anime and then came over here so they'd be like no that's American actually Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer the claymation all of the pieces the claymation thing the puppets that was all made in Japan so in our group we're around Christmas time I'm like Rudolph is an anime. I actually posted this <laughs> and I was like, let's argue. So, yes, it is a point of contention in the anime community that, like, is something an anime just because it has some anime creators, but it was, you know, mostly produced in America? Or is it an anime based stylistically? So yes, that is that's a newer argument. And so Castlevania, like I said, Blood of Zeus, those have some some contention behind it. Uh, Castlevania was created by Warren Ellis, who's like a big comic book uh, creator. And if anybody, if anybody's listening, you need to check out Castlevania. It's really really good until the final episode of season three. Uh, personally, but we, we can discuss that later. Uh, but about LaShawn Thomas, uh, he born in the Bronx, but now he's based in Tokyo. And I think that I believe he's creating this series in Tokyo. He There are producers and uh, writers uh, who are Japanese that are part of this. And it's sort of like a discussion Amber and I have is like how many black creatives need to be part of a project for us to identify it as a black creative project. So I'm just, I'm curious, like where LaShawn Thomas falls. He's the main creator of it in a room full of Japanese animators and it's still not considered anime. That's so interesting. Or, or, or the fact that it's a topic of debate is interesting. It's a topic of debate in the anime community. And I think you're right. That is pretty interesting that it would be that way. But I think of him as like a disruptor, right? Like it would be different if he went to Japan and he was like, I'm going to be Japanese and like throw away my blackness. But he's disrupting the structure by being like, I'm a black man in Japan creating anime. And even though I'm still surrounded by all Japanese people, I am still creating black anime much like you did, Amber, becoming a manager at a certain place that it was like, I am a disruptor that like, even though I'm surrounded by like all white people, I am still going to hold my space as a black woman and be a disruptor to that system that's in place. So I feel he's like-, like respecting the space. Like he's like, I'm. he's probably someone, you know, I don't know him, but He's probably watched anime his whole life, studied anime his whole life, and now has made the step to move there. That doesn't mean he's going to be accepted automatically. Like, that makes sense. No, because in Japan, racism is different there. And part of the reason is because, you know, most of the world, we're disrespectful. We're not polite. And we don't want to take the time to learn the culture. And so it more comes down to the fact that you're just a foreigner. Whether you're white or you black, you're a foreigner. It does get compounded for black people because of Eurocentric and white, you know, ideas of who black people are and what blackness represents. It does get compounded, like I said, worse for black people. But overall, their original racism is founded on xenophobia that like you're just not Japanese. 
and you won't understand our culture. Because, you know, Americans, we do go places to show our asses and yes. our disrespect. You know, not everybody on this call, but like, we, we've all seen like, so-and-so is now in Swedish jail for doing blah, blah, blah. You're like, us as foreigners in other countries do act a fool. We, we definitely want to do another anime series or even a manga. So where would you recommend we go next for that just like powerful samurai blackness or just for the listeners at home? Like what's the next move in our anime journey? Okay, this may be looked at as a really crazy like thing, but um, Jaden Smith came out with an anime, was not received well by the anime community at all. If you're looking for like black anime, and then also Michael B. Jordan also came out with an anime, but it's more in the the form of computer generated anime, but it is considered an anime. So I would say if you're looking for black anime with black creators, like you could go that route. If you're looking for an anime that theme where it's very inclusive and has like black culture weaved throughout, I would definitely recommend Samurai Champloo. It is hilarious. It's you know, it has some serious themes to it and it has a resolution that Ben will like. <laughs> the spoiler alert. I, I have one more question, Carmela. In, in science, in the science fiction world, you're obsessed with a product or a series. You often participate in like fan fiction. So have you ever written like fan fiction? No, no, but I was part of this fantasy science fiction community for a really long time in addition to anime. So I was in A Big Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan community. I was in this huge community. So I have written fan fiction. Actually, my character was a warrior that had two swords. So I've written fan fiction in the fantasy community, not in the anime community. And I know. Yeah, and just for our listeners, that series that Carmela's mentioning is like 12 books. So and they're they're not they're not tiny books. So no. you were like you were in it. Would you also say now that you manage an anime group? Yeah, I admin a little I, shout out. Yes, I help admin an anime group with four other amazing, amazing admins, Danielle, AJ, Sierra, and Erica. And our group is almost about, I think, 17,000 at this point. They are so amazing, so diverse. Seriously, we have really great discussions. And the great part about it is that we're literally a community. We don't allow, like people to say, and we have a big post when you first join it, that's like, no transphobic, no, you know, LGBTQ bashing, no racism, like, and what's great about the group, honestly, is that it was founded by a Black guy named Lewis, and and that made me love this group even more, And the but the group isn't all Black, it's everybody from everywhere, the Philippines, we got people from Japan in there, people from China, people from Mexico, I mean, Canada, like all over the world. And it's a way that you can connect and learn about other people's culture because we don't just post anime, but you're also connecting on the fact that you love anime. Thank you so much for sharing your time yes, and, your, 
And I know you said you weren't a pro, but you are our pro for on this matter. You definitely know me. They were like, I ain't never even watched the anime. How are we gonna sit here and talk about? We don't know anything. We need an expert. So I was like, let me get Carmela on the line quickly. (laughs) Not an expert, like in the anime community, because of elitism, people will be disagreeing left and right with like half the stuff I just said. I want to clarify. Love it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci. Love that anime, baby. But next week, guess what we're doing? We're watching some Adult Swim. The show Black Jesus is on Hulu, starring a cast full of talented people, but also it was created by Aaron Magruder. You know Aaron Magruder from the Boondocks? Oh yeah, you're in for a treat. It's already freaking hilarious. R.I.P. John Witherspoon. So be sure to watch Black Jesus and tune in for episode 13. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.